Pasha. A lot of things happened in the Pasha of Pinchas, but the one thing that I'd like to kind of focus on tonight is the election of Pinchas. I'm sorry, the election of Yeshua bin Nun to take over after Moshe Rabbeinu dies. We all know that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron were accused of this great sin of Chilul uh, Hashem. They defiled the name of God. Up to here we can follow the story. It's just hard for us to understand what exactly they did that defiled the name of God. Now Rashi says that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Uh, the Mephoshim all say, I mean, how could that be possibly a Chilul Hashem, defiling God's name? Because after all, uh, if you hit a rock, you don't really expect water to come out. So if he hit the rock and water came out, so that would probably be an optimistic position, right, for the people. They would say, oh, God did this wonderful miracle for our benefit. But because God said, uh, speak to the rock, uh, Rashi says that that was the transgression which led to the death, ultimately, of Aaron and Moshe, and their deaths were a punishment. And the punishment was not that they died, but they didn't get to Eretz Israel. That Moshe Rabbeinu spent his life trying to get the people from Mitzrayim and slavery to Eretz Israel and freedom. And even though he was successful after a fashion, he did not get the privilege of seeing his success. And even though he besieged God in the parasha of Hanan in Dvarim, he besieged God to allow him to just see Eretz Yisrael, to be part of the entry into Eretz Yisrael, it was not to be. And in the parasha, that this week's parasha, the parasha of Pinchas, we are told of the election of Yoshua bin Nun to the seat of, uh, of uh, uh, government of B'nai Israel. So, uh, Aaron, what? Aaron's punishment wasn't for that. It was for what the, did? Aaron's punishment wasn't for the rock, it was for the eagle. It, it was the same thing, somehow. Yeah. Somehow, they together uh, decided to hit the rock or not to speak to the rock or however you say but that's what it seems now you're right that there's a question in there like why was Aaron punished as severely as Moshe was punished but we would like to get to Yoshua Binu Yoshua Binu so the Psukim here in uh, Bamidbar Perik Zayin that's our parasha you see Pasuk Moshe Hashem Leimor Yifkod Hashem Elokei Ruchot L'Kol Basar Ish Al Ha'edah Was Moshe Rabbeinu having learned that he would die before they get to Eretz Yisrael understood that B'nai, that B'nai Yisrael needed leadership so what what he says what he uh, Moshe Rabbeinu says is let God uh, uh, determine 
And then he calls him, Yivkod Hashem Elokei Haruchot, the master of the winds. Lechol Basar, Ish Al Ha'eda. There should be an Ish. Now, now, every one of these words can be further uh, interpreted. Why is he called Ish? And why is he called Al Ha'eda? And that, that's, you know, we're used to doing that. But I just want you to remember that the, that the, who generated this request? Who turned to God? Well, it was Moshe Rabbeinu. And he says, he goes on, you know, in the manner of, um, what do they call these people in large corporations who deal with hiring and firing, you know? Personnel. Yeah, personnel. Well, this is another, in other words, he, he gives you a description. He, he tells God, who the person that God should choose is like, which seems already a bit odd to us. I mean, I mean why would Moshe Rabbeinu do that? Doesn't you think God might know, as he knew to appoint Moshe Rabbeinu? I mean, would he know to appoint his successor? So he describes him. He says, "Asher goes out before them and comes back before them." It sounds like. He's emphasized, sounds like, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it sounds like he's emphasizing the aspect of war in this leadership outline. You need somebody, and furthermore, he adds on, he adds on a kind of a simile, I mean, for some reason, they should not be like a uh, a shepherdless uh, shepherdless sheep and just wander around and not so so we understand uh, we understand what Moshe Rabbeinu thinks they should be that God should be looking for they should be looking for the kind of leadership that keeps things in order and puts puts people where they belong and leads them in war and then leads them back from war. Take Yoshua Binun, in other words, the method of appointing this new leader is now it was not described by Moshe Rabbeinu, but is described by God, and it says you should place your hand on him. On him. And you should stand him up before all the important people and, and, uh, and then you will command the him. You will give him his charge, as they say. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, you shall give of your hod Allah. Now, hold, that's a terribly difficult word. It means uh, shine or glory or, you know, but when it's a, applied to Moshe Rabbeinu, when it's applied to Moshe Rabbeinu, mehot cha, who has the hold? Moshe Rabbeinu. And that hold <coughs> is transferable. Transferable. And the Kabbalists all point out Mehotcha means less than you have. Mm-hmm. Me, some of it. 
you're not going to make Yoshua bin Nun into Moshe Rabbeinu, but you're going to give him something. You're going to give him Mehotcha. Alav leman yishmeu koladat b'nei Yisrael. And this, you know, the end of the Pasuk doesn't really make sense with the first half of the Pasuk. First half of the Pasuk says, you give a little of your hoe to him. And the second half of the Pasuk says, <coughs> they will hear, right, in order that you all, that all of the nations should hear. What does hoe have to do with hearing? I mean, whatever. I mean, you could say whatever you like. Lifnei Elazar Kohen Yamod Bishaalo Bishpata Arim Aurim Lifnei Hashem Alpiv Yetzuba Alpiv Yavo Hu Bekol Bnei Yisrael. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, "I need somebody who will lead them, who will bring them back." And here, Kodesh Baruch modifies that job, and he says, "Yoshua Benun, okay, he'll take that job, but he's got to go and ask El Azar Hakohen." Right, the mishpat haurim lifnei Hashem al pivi etzu al pivi avo who v'chol b'nei Yisraelito v'chol aida. So the urim, the urim v'tumim, right, which are part of the uh, book plate that you get if you go to Yale University. So the urim v'tumim, the urim v'tumim are the way that war is declared. You go and you go to the Kohen who's wearing the Urim Vitomim and you ask, should we go to war or not? And you get an answer. You get an answer that way so that that uh, um, Yoshua Bidun, he's Yotzei Lifnehem or Yavro Lifnehem, but he's not going to be the sole uh, the sole authority. He's not going to be able to declare war on his own. So that that we've seen We've seen several indicators that indicate to us that the important part of this statement about appointing Yoshua bin Nun as the new leader of B'nai Yisrael is that he's not going to be quite as good as Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu had the hold and Yoshua bin Nun had less Moshe Rabbeinu communicated directly with God, right? And Yoshua bin Nun has to function through the Urim Vitumim in order to determine whether they should go to war or not go to war. So just reading these psukim with a couple of... uh, with a couple of uh, additional comments... That I, that I made, I mean, not too many, we, th- we see that the hidden purpose of these psukim is to teach us that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be gone. Moshe Rabbeinu cannot be replaced. So you have to go thinking back to what Moshe Rabbeinu did. Who was he? So the primary, the primary talent that Moshe Rabbeinu had as far as we are concerned, when we think about Moshe Rabbeinu, is that Moshe Rabbeinu was always in conversation with God. At least that's what we see in the Torah. When we read the Torah, we say, who is Moshe Rabbeinu? So you could say all kinds of things. He was, he was a forceful leader. He, was, uh, he defended the people. He, uh, he did what had to be done. But if you think a little bit further about Moshe Rabbeinu, 
What you say is that Moshe Rabbeinu was like Adam and Chava before they were kicked out of Gan Eden. Because the thing that distinguished man, created man, from the other animals in the world, okay, let me alone with the snake, right? Is that the man, Adam, his wife, Chava, were always or almost always in conversation with God. Who was even greater in a, uh, in a greater conversation with God? Moshe Rabbeinu. Because Adam and Chava didn't have the Torah. And because they didn't have the Torah, they didn't have anything to ask about the Torah. And Moshe Rabbeinu was always in this kind of nexus of, of a question. There was always a question. There was always something that he didn't understand. There was always something that had to be clarified. But it wasn't like us. Like, we also have to clarify things, but but we don't think we'll ever get to it, right? You never get to the end of things. But Moshe Rabbeinu had the perfect solution. He went to God. He said, I don't understand this pasukah. I don't understand that halakha. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him what, what there is to understand. So you see, you see, <coughs> that halakha. In, in other words, I, I don't want to... Uh, I just take a... A, a little digression right what's the difference between the study of Talmud and the study of Halakha did you ever think of that question you know in the yeshivas they just study Talmud right nobody looks at the Shulchan in many kolalim there's a, what they call a program program means not serious a yeshiva would never call itself a program. So program, they have programs in, are connected to yeshivas in Kolalim, where they do study halacha very uh, um, intensely. So what's the difference between studying in yeshiva, where you learn Gemara, and studying in a kolel, where you learn halacha? I mean, what's the... What, why, why is there this division of enterprise? Why doesn't everybody learn the same thing? So, the way I understand it, which is partially part of reality and partially part of some mystical position that I prefer to adopt, is this. The Gemara is a machloket. The Gemara is entirely, from beginning to end, an irreconcilable machloket. Halacha is exactly the opposite. You start from the conclusion, this is what you do, this is what you don't do, and then you talk about it, why it turned out that this is what you do and this is what you don't do. So the two different, two different worlds. And they, can't, they can really not get together. Why is this the case? Because we the Jewish people, we, the Jewish people, have two interests. One interest is we want to really understand what God meant. I mean, that's what we would like. But we're limited. We just can't get it down perfectly. So it always ends up in a machloket. Who's right in the machloket? Everybody. 
Because isn't that the case? If you're going to listen to something that you really can't understand, it's beyond you. So some days you'll understand this part of it, some days you'll understand that part of it. I mean, that's that's how it is. That's a normal that's a normal thing. If you have no inclination for math or physics, and you go to a lecture on physics, you might understand the jokes that the teacher is saying, but you won't understand much about the physics. <coughs> he might say, oh, he said this, and then he said that, and then, you know, I don't know how they fit together. That's how the Torah is. The Torah is, I'll tell you my opinion, I'm not telling you that you have to tell anybody else. My opinion, the Torah is a series of intellectual events which we never really understand. We never really understand. Because we never really understand it, they always end up in a machloket. And because it always ends up in a that's the end. Of the, that's the end. You can't go further than that. What I'm saying now, the Rambam disagreed with. The Rambam thought you could go beyond the machloket and, and, and rediscover the original Gemara. But I'm not sure that that's the case. I, I mean, not that I'm disagreeing with the Rambam, who knew the Torah very well. But somehow my feeling is that we don't have to go in that direction. When it comes to halacha, halacha is the opposite. All you want to know is what you're supposed to do. So you start out and you say, this is what we do. And now I'll tell you why we went this way and that way and the other way. So that's the difference between halacha. And uh, and uh, and I got that. So Moshe Rabbeinu, where's Moshe Rabbeinu in this story? He's proto Gemara. He's proto Halacha, meaning that Moshe Rabbeinu knew the answer. He always knew the answer. Why did he always know the answer? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was in a constant conversation with the Kodesh Baruch So every time there was a question, and we know some of the questions: how to make the menorah and the Mishkan. We just learned about Benot Slavchad, right? Who gets the inheritance if there are no male inheritors? So, <coughs> so all of that, all of that is Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is involved. He's saying to God, I know this halacha, but what about that halacha? How do we do this? How do we do that? And God is answering him with that question. The Gemara says, there's a Gemara in Erchen. The Gemara in Erchen says that when Moshe Rabbeinu died, when Moshe Rabbeinu died, there were thousands of questions that were unresolved. Then they just didn't get to Moshe Rabbeinu. Had they gotten to Moshe Rabbeinu, all the answer questions would have been resolved. So Yoshua Benun, who was then leading the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu died, Yoshua Benun is leading the Jewish people. So Yoshua Benun turned to God and said, and said, okay, now I'm here. So tell me the answer to all these thousands of questions that Moshe Rabbeinu left me as an inheritance. HaKadosh Baruch Hu turns to Yoshua Ben-Nun and says, that's it. Right now, what you have to do is this. You have to figure it out. And what you figure it out, what you figure out, Yoshua Ben-Nun, you and the Skenim and the Chachamim, that will be the right answer. But theologically, where well, that means that God will ensure that it's the right answer, or God will be accepting of the right answer. <coughs> that's not that's not our issue right now. But the Gemara, the Gemara had this perception that Moshe Rabbeinu would have no difficulty in answering these thousands of questions because he had a hotline 
He had this hotline to God. So a hotline to God is going to work. But Yoshua bin Nun, the Chidush of Yoshua bin Nun is that you don't have to be Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the Chidush. That you can function within the system in a true manner, <coughs> even though God may not be paying close attention to what you are doing. And that's what we believe. We've come to believe that over the years, right? That there are always Rabbanim. There are always Gidolim. There are always people who can make these determinations for our benefit. And that, and we have confidence that the determination that is made, the determination that is made, is correct. It's true, even though we don't have any other reason to think that it is true, except for the relationship between Moshe Rabbeinu and Yoshua Binu. Right? That's all. That's all we have. So this is what uh, this is what the parasha says in our in our Gemara. And now I would uh, just read a few Rashi's. God should have uh, think about this. He said, when God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, give the inheritance of Tzlavchat to his daughters, Amar, So if Tzlavchat's daughters are going to be get the inheritance, maybe Moshe Rabbeinu's sons should inherit his Nachala, uh, his uh, uh, authority. So he says, uh, right? That's a quote of the Gemara. That when uh, when uh, God disagrees with Moshe Rabbeinu, he said, There's a few times there's an extra letter on a word here, so just I'll ignore it, you ignore it. Shalom Mash Mitocha Ol, that Yoshua Benun was served Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore he should be rewarded. Vizel Shabash Lomo, Notzar Ta'ina, Yochal Pirya. So, in, in, in other words, according to Rashi, Yoshua was not a man of great significance. I mean, it's true that it's a chesed to serve somebody, especially Moshe Rabbeinu was not a young man at this time. So it's a chesed. He did a nice thing, he did a proper thing, but you wouldn't think that on that basis, on the basis that he was the shamash of Moshe Rabbeinu, that he would become the Rebbe. Usually the shamash doesn't become the Rebbe, right? The exception is the Shmola Zedah, as you should know. The Shmola Zedah was the Gabbai in the Baal Shem Tov's Shul. So big deal, you know, Gabbai. Uh, but when the, I mean, I don't mean big deal in case somebody here is a Gabbai. But uh, I was never that enthusiastic personally about being a Gabbai in a Shul. It's a good way to make enemies. <laughs> so so um, uh, the Shpola Zayde, that's what he was called, uh, he came from Shpola. But he was the Gabbai of the Baal Shem Tov Shul. But after the Baal Shem Tov died, he somehow contrived to become a Rebbe on his own. Right? But that's not usually the case. It's not usually the case 
that the shamash becomes the rebbe, right? That's not the way it works. Okay, so that you look at pasuk Yudzayin, the sheyetzevif mehem, lo kederch malchei haomotzi yoshim batehem bishlichin chayloteim lemilchama. It's not like those kings, you know, who just sit around and eat and tell the army to go fight on their behalf. Ela kemosha city adisha lachanti b'sichon ve'og shneemar altira oto. So this seems to be a highly regarded trait. If the king is willing to go and fight with his people, willing to lead them into war, and that's a shayet seilif mehem vashayotziyem. He'll take them out. Rashi says, "B'schuyotav his merit." Rashiyaviyein b'schuyotav. He'll forget his merit. Davar achev asher yaviyein shelona taase lo dilota taase lo kederch shatau sali shani sheeni matnisam laaretz. So Moshe Rabbeinu has a little bit of a uh, of a I don't know bad feeling about the fact that he is uh, being punished. If you look at Pasuk 18, Yudchet, Vayomer Hashem Moshe, Kachachat Yoshua B'Banun, Isha Sheruach Bo. What's Isha Sheruach Bo? Rashi says, Kasher Sha'alta Sheyuchal Lehaloch Keneged I don't know exactly what that means, but even though it sounds to me, Isha Sheruach Bo is a, a description of his spiritual quality. He's got Ruach, he's got spirit, right? He's something special. But Rashi denies that interpretation. You see, R- Rashi says, uh, He could stand fast against public opinion, right? Which doesn't sound exactly like a spiritual quality. It sounds more like, you know, kind of a, a combative fellow, you know, who's willing to, to take a chance and stand fast. <laughs> Someone should translate. Sheyidrosh bechayecha, that will continue to teach bechayecha. Shelo yomru alav lo hayalo laim rosh biyemei Moshe. They should not say about him that he uh, that he took charge when Moshe Rabbeinu was still alive. So Meturgiman is the person who repeats the instructions. Right, he speaks in the name of the speaker. You know, like uh, before microphones, before the advent of microphones, and they had a rabbinic conference, so you had to always find somebody who had a booming voice, who could boom out whatever was being said. So Mayor Shapiro, who was the inventor of the Daf Yomi, 
which is either the greatest thing that ever happened to the Jewish people or the greatest tragedy. We'll see. The Meir Shapiro was the speaker for the Chofetz Chaim. The Chofetz Chaim was an old man and frail and didn't have a lot of kayak. And uh, Rameh Shapiro was young and strong and booming. So in the conventions, when the Chofetz Chaim spoke, he repeated word for word what the Chofetz Chaim said in this booming voice so that everybody could hear what he said. Okay, Pasuk, again Pasuk Yotet, I mean, we tried to like glean a little bit of information. But Madita was told if they... What is the Turkman? What's what? Turkman is yeah. someone who speaks. Yeah. The, yeah. the what? What Maturgaman is doing for Yavashua? One second. Maturgaman? Al Yisrael. Da? No. Where, where is it? What Pasuk is it? Um. No, but to Maturgaman is you don't hear Yoshua. It's not as though he is taking center stage. But you appoint a Maturgaman. A Maturgaman comes and says, This is what he said, that is what he said. So they wouldn't say, the people wouldn't say that he's taking the center stage while Moshe Rabbeinu is still alive. He's going to, Yoshua is going to be the Maturgaman. No, no, no. Tain Maturgaman. Give him. Give him. Give him a Maturgaman. Tain lo Maturgaman. Sheyidrosh bechayecha. That will speak while you are still alive. Because no one will think that that is somehow a denial of the authority of Moshe Rabbeinu. It was like it, it talks about Yeshua during this interim period, between the period of time when he's appointed and the period at the time when Moshe Rabbeinu dies. And it's a certain, <coughs> certainly Yeshua. Like Korach. What? Because people might think as Korach took too much. Oh, oh, oh I don't know. Yeah, it could be, but yeah. that's not what Raj. Raj doesn't say that. Raj is talking about a normal transfer of power. So Yeshua will be Moshe's mature. No, Moshe, no, no. No, Yoshua will have a Maturgaman, and therefore he will not speak in public in his own name. If he wants to say something, he'd have to say it through a Maturgaman, which is an act which is less, a lot less authoritative than speaking on your own. Right? So, so that's what Tehlo Maturgaman means. And then he says, uh, uh, okay. The last pasuk says, So Moshe Rabbeinu did as God instructed him to do. He put on his hands, he commanded him, Right? What does Rashi say? means to place your hands right on him. Yadav, plural. Alav, doesn't say where. Right? <coughs> where on his body, I mean. So what does Rashi said say? How so? You see, 
What pasuk is it? Right, pasuk yudchet. See pasuk yudchet. This is a, this is like a trick Chazal always do. Right, v'samachta at yadcha. What is yadcha? And pasuk yudchet, singular. Right, and here at the end, the pasuk kavgimel, it says vayismochet yadav, plural. So from this, Rashi understands Ba'in Yafa. He he was very liberal and open about it. Yoter v'yoter me'imajin itztava. He gave Yoshua more than he was commanded to give because the command was one hand, and the actually what he did was two hands. So you say, okay, uh, uh, but what did he give him? What's the more that he gave him? That we don't know. Right, He gave him chokma. That's what Rashi says. Even though the pasuk, the pasuk says, just. Uh, Right, Isha Sheruach Bo. I mean, we don't understand what he had, what he brought to the table, so to speak, and what it was that he was added to him, added to what Moshe, what Yeshua Binun had. Okay, I want to just look quickly. I want to look quickly at the uh, first parrot of Yeshua, which I think uh, I'm, I'm sort of we'll sort of translate it, read it, and translate it quickly. Now this is a very uh, is very important that Moshe Rabbeinu is called Ever Hashem. Now of course we understand that when the Torah uh, uh, the Torah's obituary, which is that Moshe Rabbeinu was Ever Hashem, that means that whatever Ever Hashem is, Moshe Rabbeinu was it all the time. Right? He never. There was never a variance. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in the Torah. It wouldn't be. That's that's what a Torah obituary is. It's the description of the consistency of that person. Even the modern day uh, obituaries, I remember Rabbi Soloveitchik, <coughs> when he would give a, uh, a hespade, when he would talk about someone who had died, who was a great person, he would pick a particular um, uh, a particular trait he would discuss the trait he would discuss other people had the trait uh, the, uh, the unique aspect of this particular person vis-a-vis this this trait so that's what a, a hespade in the Torah is when you say Moshe Rabbeinu was Eber Hashem it doesn't mean he never did anything else or he never participated in any other kind of activity. We know that that's true, but that somehow he, he became all the time, every moment of his existence, an Ebed Hashem. So that's Moshe Rabbeinu, that's his epitaph. So if we had literary interest, right, if we were like those kinds of people who find something to talk about, so... What does the Pesach say? That Yoshua Binun was Misharet Moshe. 
He was Moshe Rabbeinu's servant. What do you mean he was Moshe Rabbeinu's servant? Moshe Rabbeinu is dead. But they Israel are coming into Eretz Israel. Moshe Rabbeinu is leading them. Is that what the Torah should say? Oh, the Tanah, or oh, Yoshua, about, about Yoshua ben Nun, the book of Yoshua, about Yoshua ben Nun. So it was Bisharet of Moshe. Is that a compliment? Well, maybe. Maybe it's a compliment. Maybe it reflects something about the relationship between Moshe Rabbeinu and Yoshua. Maybe, maybe. Moshe Rabbeinu is Eben Hashem. Yoshua ben Nun, <coughs> even after he had been appointed, remained Bisharet. Moshe. Moshe Avdi, so God spoke to Yoshua. Moshe Avdi, mate, Vata kum avorata yadena ze, Ata vichola ama ze, El haaretz asher anokhitein lechem vei. So I would say this passage is God telling Yoshua Benun, up to now you were the leader pro tem. Like, you know, Moshe Avdi was still alive. And there were things happening, there was Kenim, there was Eliezer, there was, and you were the, the candidate, or you were to become. But now it's time. Now you are, you are truly the leader. Again, you are executing the message or the, the information that I gave to Moshe Rabbein. Okay, so they go God repeats the promise of the gvulot of the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael. So then the promise. Just as I was with Moshe Rabbeinu, I will be with you and I will help you. But there's no mention of the fact. It's not that Yoshua equals Moshe Rabbeinu. But it's rather that the, the job that Yoshua has is a job that demands God's support. Just as Moshe Rabbeinu could not have done it without God's support, so Yoshua also will get God's support. Pasuk Vav, Chazak Le'amatz, Ki Atat Anchil Et you see that the relationship of Yoshua ben Nun to the Torah is exactly the same as the relationship of Am Yisrael to the Torah. Of course, uh, he's the leader, so he's more prone, as the Torah itself tells, he's more prone to doing the wrong thing. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it's true that his uh, 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 relationship to the Torah is exactly the same as the relationship of all Am, Am Yisrael. Pasuk Chet lo yamush seifa atara zemipicha vagita bo yom agolayla leman tishvol atzot kol akatubo ki as tzdicha darkerav as taskil. So you understand. That Moshe Rabbeinu was, from the point of view of Bnei Yisrael, the one who created the Torah. I don't mean that in a in a modernistic uh, sense. What I mean to say is, when Moshe Rabbeinu took the Jews out of Mitzrayim, there was no Torah. When Moshe Rabbeinu died, before they went into Eretz Canaan, there was a Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu 
left the Torah as an inheritance for Bnei Israel, but he also created it from the point of view of Bnei Israel. He went into the old way, he heard God speaking, he came out, then he taught the people the next part of the Torah, and this is what he did for 38 years of the desert. Yoshua bin Nun, on the other hand, possesses the Torah. He has the, the, the thing that's called the Torah, he studied it. He studied it. Pirkei Avot says, Moshe Kibel Torah B'Sinai Misara Yoshua. But it doesn't say that Yoshua Kibel Torah B'Sinai. That was all Moshe Rabbeinu. That was all Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what it says here. That's what it says. Lo Yamush Sefer Torah Zamiticha Ragita Bo Yamavavayla which is taken as a halachic statement. A new thing. Ragita Bo Yamavavayla. Well, Chazal say that in the desert, they had a certain order of learning Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu taught to the Skenim, the Skenim to the Kohadim, the Kohadim to the people, right? They, they, had, they, they were able to go over it and over it and over it again, and that's how they learned every new parasha. Here, Chazal say that these words, are a new halachic obligation, and that is that a person in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, uh, I mean, argumentative. It's an argument. I'm going to make an argumentative statement, which means somebody might disagree with me. But it doesn't matter. Agita ba'yavu means you have an obligation to learn Torah during the day and, and during the night. Even though the Rambam says, as you may know, that the best time for learning Torah is the nighttime. It's when it's quiet and you can concentrate. I mean, you also have to be not very tired, but the Rambam himself says that when he came to Alexandria and he became the doctor, the sultan's doctor, he didn't have any time. And the only time he had to learn was at night. So I don't know <coughs> if he's talking about this. I mean, we we learn Torah uh, during the day and during the night because we put Torah into davening. Right? We, we say a bracha. And even though the bracha birkata Torah goes for the whole day, you don't have to learn Torah after you say the bracha birkata Torah. As always, sometime during the day, you do it. But we've learned not to trust ourselves. And so we include Torah in the davening, what's called you know, the birkata shachar, include Torah learning. Right? If you ever look at that part of the Siddur, you'll notice it. So here we have Yoshua, Yoshua, Pesach Tet. Alot simiticha chazak ve'amatz al tarotz ve'al techat ki yemcha Hashem ki imcha Hashem melukecha v'kol shatelech. Don't be afraid. Vayetzav Yoshua et shodrei ha'am leimor ivru b'kerem matane v'tzavu et ha'am leimor hachinu lechem tzayda ki be'od shloshet yabim atem uvrim et ha'yaden azet l'vo l'reshet et ha'aretz asher ha'shem elokeichem noten lachem l'rishta I don't see the spiritual leadership in, in Yoshua bin Nun in, in other words that aspect of Moshe Rabbeinu which we would call leading the people to the Torah Right, organizing uh, Har Sinai. All of that is missing here in Yoshua Binun. 
If you look at Pasuk Yudvet, Ruvedi, Vigadi, he's an organizer. Right? He's organizing things for the battle that's about to, to, that, to take place. And then Pasuk Yudzayim, the last Pasuk says, Kichol Asher Shabbat Moshe Kenishmai Lecha, Raki Yeh Hashem Elokecha Imach, Kasher Yam Moshe. So the people come to Yeshua and say, Okay, we're going to listen to you, but you better win. I mean, if we listen to you and you lose, that's the end of you. You lost the job. I mean, it wasn't like they talked, it wasn't like Korach talking to Moshe Rabbeinu. It was the reality. The reality was that Yoshua bin Nun was a different kind of leader. The kind of leader that needs victory in order to prove his leadership qualities. Whereas that wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu. What? Who? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know what it means. Maybe that's the less. The what? The less. What's less? That he gave him less. He had Oh, oh, oh. Maybe. Maybe. I I think that that the portrayal of Yoshua bin Nun is very regular. You know, he's a leader, but he's not Moshe Rabbeinu. He's a leader, he's not Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, I want to look at these other psukim. These psukim in in Dvarim. As we go back, go back a page. We'll see if we can we can do it, I'm not sure. These psukim in Dvarim, the end, Periklamadal, you know, it's the end of the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu is about to abdicate. I mean, he's going to go up on the mountain and disappear. He's gone. So the Pesukim say, Vayom Hashem al Moshe karvu yamecha lamut, Krat Yoshua, Vityatzu be'ol mo'ed ve'atzavenu, Vayelech Moshe v'yoshua yitatzu be'ol mo'ed. So it sounds like he's being inducted again. First in the parish of Pinchas, and now in the parish of Hazino. He's, it's again. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu and Yoshua called into the Ol Mo'ed. Vayar Hashem be'ol mo'ed so, so something is going on. There is this pillar of a cloud. This is like one of the depressing psukim. The most depressing psukim in the Torah. A God says to, to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, you're better off dying. Because what's going to happen in Eretz Yisrael is that they're not going to be able to do what they're supposed to be able to do. They will somehow fall. I mean, you know <coughs> that the book of Shoftim, book of Shoftim is about the northern uh, tribes. The northern tribes from Yerushalayim and north, Ephraim and Asher, Yisachar, Zvulim, all of those tribes were unable to drive the idolaters out of Eretz Yisrael. And the book of, Sh- of Shoftim is the story of what happened as a result. What happened to the people? What, were they, what was their deficiency? In Yerushalayim in south, where you have Yehuda, very big, Ter- large territory and then south of Yudah the bottom of Yudah at Shimon 
So they were able to drive the uh, idolatrous residents out of Eretz Yisrael, except for except for the Plishtim, the Philistines, who seem to still be around in Aza. That was the the Philistine cities were Ashkelon and Ashdod. They were and they lived on the coast. And no one was able ever, no one who no Jewish uh, army was able ever to dislodge them from this place. And even though I don't like to do this, but one could find some kind of analogy with the fact that Aza is like a a bad place for us even even today and uh, in spite of the fact that we had a a war which a lot of them were killed and too many of us were killed uh, it's still going on like it doesn't seem to end doesn't seem to end so they're the inheritors of the Philistines they're not Philistines they're Arabs but they're the inheritors of the vision of Philistines, and the Philistines were never driven out of Eretz Israel. And the idolatry of the Philistines stayed with us. I mean, it was there all the time. And in spite of the fact that the, the tribe of Yehuda did manage to drive every other idolatrous community out of Eretz Israel, the Philistines remained fast. So the Shoftim is the story of the northern tribes who were not able to drive out the idolatry of Ammon and Moab and Sichon and, and all, all of those all of those people. So here we go. I'm up to so this is the pressing puzzle. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, they're not going to be able to do it. They're not going to live up to your expectation. So then what will happen is what's written in the parish of Kitavo that if you don't live up to the expectations you'll be driven out of marriage etc. I will hide my face on that day I'll call her so this is the prognosis, the divine prognosis for Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. So you could say that they had to be kicked out, there had to be a diaspora, there had to be, because that's what it says, that's what it says right here. Now, I want to tell you, uh, I want to kind of share something that the Nitziv said. Here's the Nitziv. Uh, if you look, one, I make the word. I make the word. So he's talking about the relationship. If you look at the fourth line, the fourth line in this uh, quote, he says he's trying to understand the relationship between Moshe and Yoshua. And he mentions the fact that Chazal and Baba Batra, Dav Ayin Hei, Dav Ayin Hei, Apone Shama, Peperu Shama,
In other words, it's like again, Penei Moshe. You see that word there? It says Shin Memhei. So it's a trick. It's Moshe. Like you know, Penei Moshe Kepnei Chama. Moshe's face was like the sun. Penei Yoshua Kepnei Levana. There's a very famous statement which is supposed to explain everything to us. Uh, Moshe's face was like the sun, and Yoshua was like the moon. Right? So, so he says it himself. He says, So he says, everybody knows what the pshat is. The pshat is that Moshe Rabbeinu, he was, he was fire, he was light. You know, remember Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Marcinai, the end of the parish of Mishpatim? He had to cover his face with a mask because the light was so oppressive. So, so that's what his Moshe Rabbeinu had all this light, and Yoshua Benun had reflected light. So we understand that Moshe Rabbeinu was a greater spiritual, uh, a greater spirit than Yoshua Benun. He says, Lichora, Kashe. He says he doesn't understand. Why, why would they? I mean, let's ask the question this way. Why would Chazal say such a thing? After all, Yoshua bin Nun, he was a prophet. He had prophecy. He spoke to God. He knew about the Torah. He was as great as any other Navi. Any other Navi that we know about. Yeshayahu, Yemiyahu, Yechesu, as great as they are. They didn't have the light of Moshe Rabbeinu reflected off their face. Why is it that Yoshua ben Nun is so degraded in this statement of Chazal? It's like Moshe, like he was nothing. What do you mean? It reflected. Reflected means that you're nothing. Anybody can be a reflector. You don't have to have a, a quality to reflect the light. So he says, Kol ha'neviyim she'sigu nevu'ah was greater than all the other Nevi'im in this issue of Torah Shabal Peh. He says, he says, no, no, it's not true. Of course, he was a prophet. Of course, he had his own, had his own spiritual achievements. But he says, he says, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu had this knowledge of Torah that's called Torah Shabal Peh, the interpretation, the understanding, the, the Nevi'im, the other Nevi'im. <laughs> were not any different in their knowledge of Torah Shabal Peh than anybody else because they lived in the period when it was forbidden to prophesy and say that you know something about the Torah that no one else ever heard of before. But Moshe Rabbeinu, he said, this is Torah Shabal Peh. Is that what Moshe Rabbeinu said? He says, well, I'm telling you, he says, I'm telling you, this is what the words mean, but this is what it really means. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. So when Chazal said that Moshe Rabbeinu was the light of the Torah, he had the fiercely burning light, that means 
that he knew the Torah, but he also knew the Torah Shabbat Peh. That's the Nitziv. He also knew the Torah Shabbat Peh. In that aspect of things, Torah Shabbat Peh, Yoshua was like a reflection of Moshe Rabbeinu. Yoshua is like a reflection of Moshe Rabbeinu. So that here in this Nitziv, in this Nitziv, you have a relationship to the question of who Yoshua Benun really was. And, and he says when Chazal say there's the light of Moshe Rabbeinu, it's the reflected light of Yoshua Benun, that means that Yoshua Benun received the Torah Shabbat from Moshe Rabbeinu as reflected light because it was really all with Moshe Rabbeinu. But as far as him, Yoshua Benun is he was not less than a prophet. He also spoke to God and he also knew things and I want to tell you something interesting. If you turn the page, you turn the page, and I'm almost finished. Yoshua Perak of Dalit Pasuk This is the last Perak of Yoshua. Right, the Pasuk, the last Perak of Yoshua, Vayhi Agareya Dvariba Eila Vayabat Yoshua Be Nun Ebed Hashem what do you say? <laughs> One more pasuk. I like it's a pasuk. I'm not it's not a trick, not a hat trick. Shoftim perik beis pasuk chet vayamos Yeshua binun eved Hashem eved Hashem bar meyav eser shanim. How does that sound? Not promoted. What? You got promoted. <laughs> So that, that somehow, that somehow, even though Yoshua received the Torah Shemalpeh as reflected light, and even though it was clear that he, uh, he himself was a great prophet and knowledgeable, nevertheless, it's important for the Tanakh to stress that Yoshua bin Nun somehow achieved for himself the title of Ebed Hashem which until that time, of course, was unique to Moshe Rabbeinu. So you see that even though, even though Moshe Rabbeinu asked God that a leader should be appointed who could take them to war and bring them to a war, and that they also would be able to somehow place him in this uh, position of, uh, of receiving the spirit of Moshe Rabbeinu, it's important for the Torah or the Tanakh to stress the fact that Yoshua bin Nun was successful, even though he may not have been at the time, at the time he was appointed in the book of Bamidbar <coughs> here, even though it may be that at the time he was appointed, he was not, he was not Eved Hashem. But somehow this influence impacted upon him to make him, even though he spent his whole life fighting wars and being part of that, you know, tension in conquering Eretz Israel, somehow he managed to maintain, he managed to maintain a spiritual dimension which enabled him to be called at the end of his life Ever Hashem as well. Okay, have a good Shabbos.